You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. And welcome everyone to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the Helping Spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all who bring that which is good and true and beautiful from the ancestral realms into our lives here today. I call out those who can lean in and help us, the living, to rise to the challenges of our time, to bring forward that which is enduring and true and continue with these practices and let these practices give us the strength to open ourselves to what needs to be created in our time. And may we be the medicine that is needed in these ever so challenging and wonderful days that we call life. So on this new day of the new year, we call out to these ancestors to be with us here today. And as the human ancestors gather around us, let's reach beyond the humans to the ancestors of all the rest of life that is here on earth with us. Let us reach out to those non-human ancestors who have been here much longer than there was ever a human and will be here long after. We reach out to the spirits of the land and the great spirits of the land, the spirits of nature around, and ask these wise ones to help us to continue to learn how to be better humans. Help us to surrender deeply to our own true nature and to understand in that true nature that which is ours to do and to do it well, to do it clearly, to do it fully, and to do it in a way that expresses our love and generosity for all of life. And so as these ancestors in their many forms gather around us here today, let us gather ourselves from wherever we might be, drawing our energy into our heads, drawing our energy from our heads to our hearts, and our energy from our hearts to our bellies. And let us take a moment slowing down until we are doing just one thing, which is to reach out our energy or our hand, our feet to the earth, and to give thanks for this day, to give gratitude for life itself and the wonder and the miracle of being alive. We give gratitude to the earth and the wonder of her dreaming, the beauty, the diversity, the harmony, and the complexity. We give gratitude for it all, and we give thanks for that amazing generosity in this dream that we can change anything as long as we are still breathing. So let us take another nice deep breath. Let our gratitude flow out to all the layers of the earth as we extend our energy down all the way down to the very, very, very center of the earth to connect there deeply and take a moment to give gratitude to those things that draw their power from darkness, the darkness that brings rest and restoration, that which nourishes and replenishes, that which is stillness and solitude and silence. And as we reach into that energy and draw it up into our lives, we call up the energy of the earth to bring us the wisdom of manifestation. Let us learn how to be here in form in a good way. We call up that which nourishes all that we see here on the face of earth that we call abundance, that we call bounty, and that we give great gratitude for. Let these energies move into us, bringing refreshment and replenishment and restoration as we reach out to the earth energies to know who we are, to know where we stand and what we stand for. And may we draw from this energy a new and renewed sense of belonging to our ancestors, belonging to this time and belonging to this human family. And let us open our homes, our minds, and our hearts to those who are different than we are. And let us learn through the conversations with things that we might call other, how to be better versions of the people that we've been born to be. 
And as we reach deeply into the earth and learn from the earth about relationship and connection and interdependence, let's come into right relationship with ourself, right relationship with the environment around us, right relationship with each other, and right relationship with the spirit world. And let us draw our energy up from our bellies to our hearts and our hearts to our minds as we align in this right relationship with ourself and send this energy all the way up up through the space above our heads, out into the sky, whatever weather it holds, out through the atmosphere and all the way out into the cosmos, reaching all the way to the highest power of the universe, taking a moment and connecting there to these divine radiant energies and allowing these energies to resonate with you and you to resonate with them. Let your own divinity, by whatever name you call it, uh, resonate as the highest power, and as that essence within your own heart. And with these essences connected and aligned, draw the energies down from above, bringing in blessing, bringing in protection, bringing in inspiration and illumination and calling in the benevolence of the universe to support us in this day. And imagine this energy moving all the way back down through you so the sky connects with the earth and the earth with the sky. And as this great channel of energy opens within you, let it awaken the spirit of your own heart. And as your heart awakens, open up that crucible of transformation that lives in the human heart and call up the fiery passions of your belly and call down the crystal clarity of your mind and let these two energies so very different move together in a dynamic tension within your heart that gives birth to a third and most sacred thing, your own sense or understanding, memory or inspiration of why it is that you are here. And may you find the courage that you need in that heart, your beautiful human heart, to do something in this day, large or small, to bring your gifts into the world. And for all of the spirit help that we all have to do that thing, to bring our gifts into the world, we are deeply grateful. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. Today, on this first day of the new year, 2019, I would like to give thanks to those of you who have donated to iShamanism now for the last 10 years and have stepped away and are offering your resources towards other things that also need to grow in the world. Thank you so much for your support. And I'd like to give gratitude to those new people that are offering monthly donations um, to help the radio show continue to be available on the air and the shows be added to the archives. I want to give special thanks to Irina, to Marcelo, Eduardo, Anne, Nijlan, Shane, Gina, Sarah, Louise, and Brian, and all of the listeners who have been able to do, donate to this show financially. Why Shamanism Now is and has always been listener-supported, and it is because of listeners like you that the show remains um, available, free on the internet to anyone in the world who can get onto the internet, and the archives um, now have over 450 shows available for free. And I'm grateful for all of you that have helped me to make this happen, those old supporters, those new supporters. And I invite you to tune in uh, to your own heart and to understand if this show is meaningful to you in any way, I ask you to find some way to then support the show, to do something large or small to help the show to grow, be it to donate financially, to work with the teachings and uh, share what happens in doing that, um, to share your questions as you engage. Whatever it is that you might do to share through social media to help the show to grow, it is all deeply appreciated. All of it together is what keeps the show alive and available to you. So thank you all for all you have done, all you are doing, and all that you will do for Why Shamanism Now. So today's topic is the authentic self and authentic shamanism. Um, we are live today, and if you'd like to Skype in, you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site and ask questions about today's topic. Um, mostly today, I want to welcome 2019, and it is traditional 
um, at this moment in the turning of our earth through its yearly cycle to look at the state of our lives, to look at the state of our various cultures, to look at the state of our world. What is being asked of us in our time? What are you asking of yourself? This show marks the beginning of the second decade of Why Shamanism Now. As I said, there's 452 shows now in the archives. Those of you that are downloading from iTunes, you don't know that because I think iTunes caps the podcast off at 300. So you can go to whyshamanismnow.com to find the full archives. And today I would like to circle back to the beginning. I would like to circle back to authenticity. So the first retreat of the cycle teachings was offered in 1990. Um, It was called The Masks of Illusion and the Authentic Self. It still is. We live in a time now, 30 years later, where using the word authenticity is pretty much um, uneventful. It, It doesn't even mean anything anymore. It's been so grossly overused in our current time. Nonetheless, it has been here as part of my work, my life, my shamanic practice from the beginning, uh, whether it was fashionable or not, whether it was good marketing or not. And so today, today I've been reflecting on authenticity. So authenticity um, is not to be searched for, that life is meant to simply be an expression of your authentic self. Your life is not meant to be a search for it. And so that first retreat from almost 30 years ago was designed by spirit. It's still essentially the same retreat. Um, And it's designed to awaken your relationship with your authentic self. Um, That has always been step one in the cycle of transformation teachings. And then the next four years unfold from there as an expression of your authentic self. It is reawakened. It's all about cultivating that relationship and expressing expressing your authentic self. So what happens when we engage in a path of shamanic training without engaging your authentic self first? Shamanic skills are very effective and powerful. So what happens when they're not directed by authenticity? What happens when they're being directed by an unhealthy ego or a scared, wounded child or an aspect of your own shadow? An inauthentic person can't create authenticity no matter how well intended. Intention isn't everything. Intention will not uh, make up for a lack of authenticity Authenticity requires an intimacy with self. And so this situation we find ourselves in would never have happened in a traditional or indigenous shamanic culture, right? These original cultures initiated their teenage children into adulthood as a matter of course. It was one of the responsibilities of the collective to the individual, So it was part of the culture's responsibility to the individual in the culture to tend that threshold for all children, for all children to step into adulthood. And as an adult, then you are asked, who are you and why are you here? And so in these cultures, adulthood would be in a sense, synonymous with an expression of your authentic self because your culture would have tended that threshold that would allow you to step into that relationship and answer the question, who am I? Why am I here? And so in these cultures, any shamanic training happened in an intimate relationship with this cultural initiation of that child into adulthood. So this means that it's not a traditional purpose of shamanic training to help you find your authentic self. It is a self that would be awakened, and after that awakening, training would happen. And so that is really the responsibility of your culture, 
is to tend that threshold and to awaken your relationship with your true self, your authentic self. Do you have a deep and intimate relationship with your authentic self? We live in a culture that has completely, in America at least, we live in a culture that has given up on these responsibilities of the culture to the individual and no longer even understands their responsibility, much less understanding how to actually do them in an authentic, sacred, meaningful way, right? So do you have a deep, intimate relationship with your authentic self? Do you speak regularly? Does your authentic self drive the bus of your life? Or is it still being driven by that highly skilled wounded child? So I ask this because sort of through the lens of my own solstice work this year, I see this lack of deep, intimate relationship with our authentic selves at the root of these inauthentic offerings um, in our very mixed and diverse world of contemporary shamanism. So I'm thinking of things like those 18 weeks, I'll turn you into a shaman and you can make money too kind of trainings, starter witch kits from makeup companies. The list goes on and on. As does the willful ignorance as to why that isn't okay. Today, given all of the information in the world that is out and available, it is willful ignorance to not understand why any spiritual practice engaged in inauthentically is not okay. So at the heart of this ongoing relationship with inauthenticity is really wanting to step over the discomfort and the sacrifice required to, ma- to maintain an authentic relationship with yourself. I mean, you would really have to be blind or just, just willfully turning away to not see the difference in engagement with spirit when we observe an indigenous shamanic practitioner at work, right, relative to your typical American suburban practitioner. You know, it, the engagement with spirit is qualitatively different. So what is going on, number one, and how do we change that, number two, right? And so it, it, it isn't actually comfortable to live authentically. And I think this is a great misunderstanding in common spiritual mythology, let's say. That if I find my authentic self, everything is going to be slick as spit after that. It's all going to feel good. I'm always, my heart's always going to be singing and I'm going to get everything that I ever needed and wanted. And actually living a life of your authentic self is a challenge. Always. It always has been. But particularly in our time. So it isn't comfortable for a contemporary American person, for example, to repair and maintain an intimate relationship with their own authentic self. It isn't easy or formulaic in a culture that has failed its collective responsibility to its individuals. And so this authenticity is something we need to pay attention to. So 30 years ago, when the first Masks of Illusion and the Authentic Self happened in Hawaii, actually. So in that 30 year ago time, we had all the same issues we have now, right? You had a family of origin expectations, leaving you with a pretty dysfunctional life skills. We had um, families of origins that in in and of themselves were so dysfunctional. um, They left us scarred and wounded and needing to heal from this kind of collective trauma. We had a very, 30 years ago, we had still had very binary gender expectations, leaving people without the freedom to explore the authenticity of their own sexual expression of self. You know, what, what should be more personal and intimate for an individual than their own expression of their sexual self? And yet this was policed 
many expressions were still illegal um, here in the United States. In some countries, they still are. Right? No freedom to explore who am I? Why am I here? How do I want to be here? How can people understand their own authenticity if they're not given the freedom and the support by their culture to discover that for themselves, right? Back 30 years ago, there was still a very, very serious belief, much more serious than today, although it's still pretty serious today, that the only sane states of consciousness were waking, sleeping, and dreaming. And that everything else was a state of mental illness. Right? 30 years ago, right? Um, there were all these different versions of how we were all going to hell from various different religious teachings that we had never asked for as children and yet had been handed down. And now in our effort to find our true authentic spirituality, we had to be afraid we were going to hell for looking. Right? So back then... You had to step away from loads of expectations, loads of um, fear about stepping outside of these very clear boundaries and um, exploring to discover where, where you are in yourself and who you are in yourself. And all the while, you might be having the courage to actually do that. You were feeling pretty sure you were somehow either damaged or damned or crazy for needing to do it at all. And all the while carrying this deep wound of abandonment that we all still carry, um, that our culture no longer serves its communal responsibilities to us as individuals. And so today, right, we have new versions of all of those old things we had to deal with 30 years ago. They are evolving at best, but they're all still issues, issues of family, issues of policing people's sexuality, issues around religions and spirituality and cult leaders and um, insanity around religion and spiritual issues. Issues now with the environment ever more serious than they were 30 years ago. They were pretty serious then, too. And then also this constant policing, policing of states of awareness and this need to say, you know, we're the only ones that um, get to say what's sane and what's not sane. And so all those things were true, are still true today, right? And that we have even more now driving us away from a steady, deep, intimate relationship with our own authenticity. Because 30 years ago today, we did not have social media. We barely had email um, we, in our personal homes. Um, that was only coming, right? And while the technically the first smartphone was about to get created, it was nothing compared to everybody having that in their back pocket today, right? And so we have this culturally sanctioned, fear-driven, peer pressure of social media now, distracting us even further from all of those issues that were already distracting us from our own authenticity and our own ability to spend time doing the things, the activities that allow us to be in deep and intimate relationship with ourselves. So five new things are very prominent in our lives now because of social media. The very first thing being this incredible pressure to move whatever it is that we are doing into a place that is popular, that is trending, that is this startup that can make a ton of money and then we walk away, not ever caring about the actual quality of the product. How many people, how many of you listening to this radio show have an IT job and your job is, you know, programming apps, right? Apps are designed to be addictive, a successful app on your phone, on your smartphone, is the first thing you do in the morning and the last thing you do at night. 
Those two things used to be prayer. They used to be a conversation with the invisible world. They used to be asking for goodness to come to you and your loved ones, your world. So it is actually important that we choose, if we care about our authenticity, that we choose to look at how we are engaging in technology. And that we notice the things that we are allowing to enter our life through this very fear-driven, if I don't do this, I won't matter. It's very fear-driven. Pressure, right, from social media. The first is to make what we do popular. Well, what is authentic is rarely popular. (laughs) What is popular, what is trending, what is liked, means this is so watered down Everybody's going to love it. I have watched beautiful Qigong masters lose the depth and breadth of their teaching by trying to create a form everybody will do or create a form that is so simple everyone will be willing to do it. It's not about the forms. It's not about your authenticity. It's about people being willing to practice. If we're talking about Qigong, it's about people resonating in their own authenticity, with your authenticity, and you being able to give them a bridge through that discomfort. So the first issue is this pressure to be popular, to trend, to get likes. And that um, before the last show with Sandra Ingerman, as we were chatting before the show, she was talking about, this incredible pressure in publishing now of all of this false creation of a popular author identity through even selling yourself to get people to give you likes so that your book can be a bestseller on the whatever list. I mean, the levels of convolutions and deception and falseness being driven by this need to trend, to have 20,000 whatevers on your list, to have 200,000 whatevers on your list. Question this. Notice it in your life. Choose to be in the relationship you want to with it. Do not allow yourself to be driven by fear into a relationship that, frankly, marketers want you to be in with it. Now we have layers of technology between us that allow these creations and often deifications of false identities. I mean, it is hard enough, people, believe me, it is hard enough without all of this to figure out how to transform your false self in a world where your culture hasn't given you the skills to do this, that your false self is ever so much stronger because you've had to pick up the role of your culture that didn't do its role, it is a challenge to simply release the false self you don't even know you have, much less deal with all these people creating false identities, stealing identities, right? Masquerading as someone other than who you are because you can't stand the discomfort of tuning into and discovering who am I? Who would I be if I became someone I really like to hang out with? Right. So we also have this on, ongoing illusion of what engaging really means and responding really means. It's now clicking and posting. Now, technology can work. Technology is our friend. Technology can allow amazing things to happen. But if you notice you feel lonely and you need human contact, thinking going to Facebook is a way to do that is wrong-minded. We need to take care with how we are losing our relationship with our own authentic self and the willingness then and the desire to sit, to respond and to engage with each other's authenticity, to connect human to human. 
Remember that time when there are certain things you didn't say because you could see what those words created on someone's face. Because you could see the pain fly across their face as they tried to recover themselves after those words. You would never have said them because you know that pain. And now they're typed daily. So another thing that we're losing is just exactly this, this deepening, this deepening disrespect for privacy. I had this really scary dream over the holidays that parents were, the trending gift was this camera you attach to your infant child's head to record every moment of their childhood. I mean, it's like, you, you can't just embarrass your kids when they're teenagers with their kid photos. Now their whole life was recorded. And I thought, what a profound invasion of privacy. What a message to teach your children about boundaries, huh? Is that your parents are now engaged in every moment of your life. It was a nightmare. So anyway, again, my point is that This sense of who am I and my authenticity requires a sense of my boundaries, of getting a sense of where do I end and others begin, and how do I tend that interface, and how does that come into relationship with the other states of being in which I am one with all things? How do these paradoxical relationships live together in me as I express my authenticity in the world? How do they live together in you? How can we learn to have a health of a sense of healthy boundaries if we no longer even understand basic sense of what should be private? What should be public? And that we don't have a right to invade other people's space. So the other thing, of course, with all of this particular technology is just the hours of distraction it offers for us. And I'm as guilty as the rest of you. The hours of distraction of doing this instead of our yoga practice, instead of those journeys we need to do, instead of tending our ancestral shrine, instead of reading a good book, instead of loving each other, actively, risky person-to-person, face-to-face, connecting with each other. Oh, my God, what if you wrote someone an actual letter with a pen on paper? I mean, I probably would still do it on my computer, but I might print it and send it with a real stamp. You guys remember what stamps are, right? So this, this challenge, as contemporary people... With our cultures having failed to help us, this challenge, nonetheless, you are still responsible for having a relationship with your authentic self. So what are we as humans to do? So I only have uh, to offer you what spirit has taught to me. You know, I, I, I don't know anything else. I'm otherwise just a human groping along like you are. Um, but the cycle teachings have helped me. And this is really all that's here is the crumbs from that table here on Why Shamanism Now. And that table, that banquet, of course, is the actual teachings um, in the four-year program. So the cycle teachings begin, as I said in the beginning of the show, with authenticity before all else. And then we reforge that relationship. So we reforge your relationship with your authentic self through ritual, actually through several rituals. Anyway, but the point is we reforge it. And these rituals cut through the crap that we all drag around from our culture, whatever our culture might be, and helps uh, helps us through ritual to reestablish firm ground that we can stand on, we being the person who owns the free will and makes the decisions, right? So uh, the free – the ground that we stand on, the free will, and that we can then align it with the authentic self. Okay, so then after that, um, in the in the teachings, then the relationship needs to be cultivated and clarified and maintained over time through the use of skills. 
So this is another thing that I think um, people want to believe. I've heard people say that they're shocked to realize that their authentic self isn't something that they find and then it's done and then all is good after that. But that your relationship with your authentic self is cultivated continuously over time, constantly or repeatedly clarified as we live, as we hurt, as we grow, as we change, as we have life's lessons. Our sense of our own authenticity is refined and clarified. And so it's cultivated and it's clarified and it's maintained over time through the use of skills. It's not maintained over time by just living, however you choose to, getting whatever you want, whenever you want to, however you want it. That's not living an authentic life. That's shopping. So the uh, living an authentic life with our connection to our authentic self requires this cultivation and that it's clarified and maintained over time through the basic use of skills. And so in my world, those skills would be like shamanic journeying, the basic emotional body clearing, energy body hygiene, and then the things that we begin to learn in the cycle, because this, you know, this is all I know is what I've learned through the cycle, is what, what, um, what activities amount to truly living a shamanic life, that kind of life that has that engagement with spirit that we can see in non-suburban contemporary American lives that we see in the lives of these indigenous people that we spend a lot of money to go visit, to go learn from in their shamanism, right? Okay, so what we, what we learned, what I've learned from spirit through the cycle is that authenticity in life, in ourself as individuals, requires release, it requires learning to let go and it requires all that comes into life when you cultivate a right relationship with death. That authenticity requires that we no longer grasp and that we learn to breathe into things and that it requires this constant leaving behind of that beautiful self that you just learned to live into. So that authenticity is a constant, deep, internal growth. And so you could ask, who in me needs to die so that I can live into a deep and intimate relationship with my authentic self? Who in me needs to die? So that I can live into a deep and intimate relationship with my authentic self. The next thing that the cycle teaches us is that authenticity requires that we give birth to things that we are afraid of. Especially those things that we are most afraid of within ourselves. And so these things that we're afraid of, that we need to give birth to, are things we want to live. So those aspects in ourself that we accept and value, but we don't embody, we don't live, we're in denial of. But there's also the things within us that we don't value, and we don't accept, and we're in denial of, that All of these things within us need to be given birth so that we can then discern what now, right? So for those things within us that might be something like an inner person who wants supremacy, wants to hold on to rank and privilege, those that person in you who wants to stay entitled could be that person in you that um, wants to be right, be damned about the divisiveness that creates, but you don't want to understand how other people feel. That these aspects of cells within us do need to be known and given birth so we can discern through skills, right? What is your function in me? 
how did you become this version of that function? And how can I restore that function in a way that is aligned with my own authentic self? And so some of these things we're afraid of that we need to be willing to give birth to aren't necessarily things we want to keep, we want to be, but we need to be willing to give birth to them, to have courage to give birth and trust that our authentic self will help us to understand what is really the correct function of this energy and how do I do this in a good way. Now, of course, the other things that we need to give birth to that we're even more afraid of would be the things that are actually what we want to express in the world. Um, Our true non-definable sexuality our true passions that might lie outside of the bounds of what is considered reasonable in our tiny minds, right? So, do you have the skills? Do you have the discernment? Have you made the choices to be able to know what to do, to give birth to these aspects of yourself and know what to do with them? Right? So this is why the choice to be authentic, to be your authentic self requires this willingness to ask for help. We often find seeing accurately within ourselves the hardest clear-sightedness to have. That many feel empathic and visionary and clear about everybody else. You feel everyone else's emotions. Which ones are yours? What about your own, right? So this is why, at least initially in the beginning, there are many reasons actually we need to ask for help. But in the beginning, when we're talking about authenticity, this is the main reason that we need to ask for help, right? And we need to come to understand when do I ask and when is it mine to do? They're two different things. It is not true that you have to do it all yourself, But it is not true that others can help you do everything. Both things are true. Some things you absolutely have to do yourself. And other things you need to ask for help to do. And so part of tuning into our own authenticity, our own nature, our own gifts, our own skills, is to know where we need to ask for help. Sometimes the help is asking someone to use their skills, like asking someone to do a soul retrieval for you. Sometimes you need to ask for help because you need to learn a skill. You need to learn to journey or you need to learn to do energy body hygiene, right? Sometimes it's about learning how to ask. Sometimes it's about learning whom to ask, who to ask whom. Anyway, ask the person. How do you do that? Uh, Who is the right person to ask? I mean, it it drives people crazy, I know, but I feel like part of my job when people ask me for help is to really sense whether I'm the one who can help them. I know that if people are calling me, they want me to be the one to help them, but I may not be that person. So part of my job is to be able to help them to understand who they should ask, that I might not be the person to ask. Maybe there's someone else who can do what you need differently or better. Maybe I can't do it at all. And so that's part of you discerning who to ask. Because for each of us to live our authenticity, we are the only one who knows it, what our authenticity is, and we're sometimes the last who can see it. And so we also need friends. We need community. We need people that can reflect back to us. So a perfect example is... I had uh, Nan Moss and David Corbin, so this was before David passed away, on the radio show. It's a lovely show. You can find it in the archives. And Nan said to me, maybe not on the show, it might have been in the conversation after, she said, oh, that surprises me, Christina. I always saw you as a magnificent manifester. And I went, what? Because I saw myself as someone who was always frustrated trying to make things happen. And I was not a good manifester. And there was something in the way she said it that was kind of like a knife in the heart in a good way. And it made me really think about how sometimes other people see us more clearly than we do. 
And what would my life be like? How would I approach my own authentic self if I trusted that Nan's vision was more accurate than my own? Enormous help. That one offhand statement that she made in a simple conversation. But it rang true. My authentic self grabbed it and said, you, driver of the free will, you need to look at this. You need to understand she sees us more clearly than you do. So asking for help is an art. It matters. You need to learn to do it if you care about your authentic self. And along the way of this life lived authentically, there will be a need for faith. Faith gives us the ability to be in that space between what was and what is not yet. That we cannot grow and change into something new, not just a new version of what we used to be, but something truly new without faith, that ability to be in the space between. And the question I have for each of you that you need to ask yourselves is, do you have the capacity for faith? Or did you throw that baby out with the bathwater when you became a fallen, what, Catholic, Jew, whatever? When you stepped away from the religion of your parents, did you leave your capacity for faith behind? If so, find it. Reconstitute it. Come to understand faith as something that is not attached to spirituality or religion. It is not attached to anything. It exists as an essence energy in and of itself. The question for you is not what do you have faith in, but do you have the capacity for faith? And is that capacity great enough for you to come into right relationship with your authentic self and do what you have come here to do? And if it is not, then you need to cultivate it. That faith, like all the other important sacred things, is something that is cultivated through your attention to it. And there are many ways to cultivate it, but the one way you won't is by not paying attention. (laughs) So... Faith. You need faith in something that is larger than you. If you want to live your authentic self, you must have faith in something larger than you. And that you must be able to place your faith in that something that is larger than you. You need faith in your ability to care intensely about your authenticity while staying out of your unhealthy ego. You cannot just second guess yourself. You have to have some faith that you can learn to do that. You have to have faith uh, to stay out of the righteousness that blinds us to our rank, our privilege, and our power in any situation. Do you have the faith that will allow you to do that? And do you have the faith that you need to stay out of the righteousness of your woundedness and victimization? Do we have the faith cultivated to change? to truly transform, to step into our authenticity and not give a rip if it's trending, and to reach out and connect in a real way, and to bring our gifts to the world in a real way through our actions. So 30 years ago, there was an argument about the authenticity of contemporary shamanism itself. It's not like that argument actually went away, but it was quite robust 30 years ago. It's evolved over time. So on one side of the argument was the foundation for shamanic studies, putting forward journeying as a technology, as a technique and technology people could engage in without necessarily um, engaging in anything else. And um, on the other hand, on the other side of this uh, argument, were were indigenous peoples and those who studied indigenous people um, who were saying that there is no shamanism without the culture it comes from. Um, Now, my personal feeling is that there's merit to both sides of this argument. The problem is, at the time, uh, is the argument stalled out. Or I should say the argument stayed an argument. It never evolved into a new understanding. So in reflection, as I look at this, I see that part of why this argument 
um, still really has found a never has never found a good kind of productive place is that it really lacks this discussion of authenticity. Not just does journeying work, because frankly, journeying as a technology works. It works with many different drivers, whether your journey is being driven by a sonic driver or a plant hallucinogen or four days of dancing. You know, humans are designed to enter altered states. Journeying works. You don't have to have it attached to a culture for it to work because it's attached to humans. Okay, so... This, the heart really of the matter was not so much the forms as it was really about the what is the authenticity, what is authentic in this discussion. So there, there was an aspect of this argument that is definitely about appropriation. So I don't want to overlook that or sort of skip over that as just a speed bump or a mere, you know footnote in history, because it's not, it's alive and well and problematic today. Um, so, but the idea was that journeying itself without a culture was a kind of appropriation. And I don't personally believe that because journeying is so widely shared by cultures around the world that you can't really say, I own that. I and my culture own journeying. It's really shared so widely that it is a human um, activity. How a culture does it, the precise form they use and how they do it certainly is owned by the culture. And to do it that way and call it your own would be appropriation. But the actual act itself as a way of being in relationship with your helping spirits, it's kind of like saying, you know, my culture has a tradition of working with the North Star and so the North Star is ours. It's like, nah, it doesn't really work because everybody on the planet can see it. It's everybody's North Star. Okay. So there was that problem is, is the appropriation or the potential for appropriation was not addressed responsibly. But that's not really the part of it that I want to get into today. What I want to get into is this issue of authenticity. Because what it basically, the way the argument went 30 years ago that it pretty much boiled down to is because you have no viable shamanic culture as Caucasian people, as white presenting people, you're frauds. You're plastic shamans was the term used then. I think it might still be used. Um, and that by definition, your work is false. Now, obviously, that was hard for a bunch of white presenting people to stomach or people that were long away, people that maybe weren't white presenting but were long away from their own shamanic roots when they had finally found a sense of self, a sense of relationship with spirit that was very real and workable by learning to journey. So they weren't about to let that go. Now, the cultural appropriation piece is a part of it, but the technique of journeying that was trademarked, frankly, by Michael Harner um, isn't owned by any culture. It's shared by many cultures. It's, it's basically an effort to start over again and learn again. How do we connect with spirit? Right? How do we learn from our ancestors and connect with spirit? Okay, so the problem is basically on one side of it, you boil down to you're a fraud because you're white on one side. And the, then the other side wouldn't look at what was appropriation because they didn't know how to deal with this level of authenticity they were experiencing in their journeys. And so this is the thing. You're a fraud because you're white. It, it isn't wrong because everybody's ancestors practice shamanism at some time because that leads us to justifying appropriation. This idea that you're a fraud because you're white is wrong because race is a construct and it's false. That's why it's wrong. Like we never got deep enough into this conversation to realize that our relationship with spirit is a human function and that all humans, regardless of the color of their skin, which is what race is usually based on, are humans. They have a relationship with spirit. They need to use it. 
And so this really getting at that authentic piece of what journeying is really about. It's about being a human, getting at that authentic piece of why race is false and all that could mean. What if 30 years ago, everybody who had any contact with the Foundation for Shamanic Studies became an emissary for the unraveling of the false ideas of race in terms of injustice based on skin color? Now, certainly people get their cultures, get their traditions, get to hold on to and own um, the ways of their people. But the idea that people should be judged differently based on the color of their skin is just wrong in all possible manifestations, right? So it's understandable this sort of equally two-sided defensiveness that got created that really stopped the deeper conversation that could have happened at the time. But we needed to look at what wasn't and still isn't happening and why there's this idea that there is no shamanism out of context that hat of a culture and that has some merit and it was still decades before the foundation for shamanic studies started teaching that you actually needed to get into some kind of exchange or any relationship with your helping spirits to begin to create culture around these shamanic forms that were being taught. And so this was the other side of that argument, is there is merit to the idea that your shamanism needs to exist in a culture that supports shamanism. We can't dumb the shamanism down so that it's popular for everyone. It won't be shamanism anymore. We can't continue to do only the parts we can monetize because then we won't build the culture. We can't continue as we are without looking at the true authenticity of our own practice and our own shamanic work, or it will not open the doors we need to open to a new future. We have to step between the stories and we have to look at the shamanism that we're practicing, it can't, if it's all popular and we can make money off all of it, it loses its authenticity just as you lose your authenticity when all you care about is whether you're trending, right? The authenticity of our practice begins with the authenticity within ourselves that we are or are not living every day. And what makes your shamanic practice authentic is first and foremost your active working relationship with spirit. And next is your active working relationship with spirit via a trance state that you can enter into and exit at will. It is not just your random intuitive conversation with spirit. There's nothing wrong with that. Intuition is a beautiful thing, but that doesn't make it shamanism. Right, that you build through your shamanic practice a relationship with the world around you, the human and non-human. And this is where you start getting into the aspects of living a shamanic life that you cannot monetize, that you will not get anything back for other than an actual living, breathing, authentic shamanic culture to support yourself shamanically. And that you learn to surrender that we must, what makes our shamanism sur- authentic is surrender into that relationship with spirit. Surrender your opinion and learn to listen. Listen to spirit. Listen to each other. Listen to people that are different than you. Listen to the rosemary in your garden. Listen to your dreams at night. Listen to your children. We must surrender deeply into the trance states that are part of shamanism and not just stay at what is simple and easy to grasp. We need to not become those people that say, oh, I don't need to journey anymore. I'm so evolved, right? We need to surrender to what you have been taught by spirit and learn to interpret with spirit correctly. It's a constant, ongoing learning process. And surrender to what you have been told is possible and apply those answers regardless of your sense that what you're doing is insane. To build an authentic shamanic culture 
out of our current contemporary lives will seem insane every step of the way to your authentic self. So thank you everyone for listening. May we have an authentic, rich, deep, and intimate year ahead of us. I give gratitude to the ancestors for leaning in, for helping, to the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone. Have a good week.